electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Sarah Eisen, David Faber at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Futures are higher, 10-year back to 4-2. As some of the data comes in light today, including the biggest retail sales decline in about a year. Add to that some lowered guidance from Cisco, Deere, Wendy's, and others. Our roadmap begins with stocks in the economy. Investors closely watching the data today, including retail sales, claims, manufacturing, IP, Plus, Cisco's shares moving lower. The company cutting more than 4,000 jobs and lowering its revenue outlook. And Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has trimmed that massive position in Apple. Let's begin with the markets, though, in this morning's batch of uh, eco data. We mentioned retail sales coming in a bit light. Uh, Philly Fed uh, was a little bit better, but then Empire was a miss. And a lot of desk notes today, Sarah, basically saying maybe Tuesday uh, was a hiccup. Uh, as we got the two-year basically back to where it was prior to CPI. The best news of the economy this morning was jobless claims, which continue to surprise lower. Only 212,000 jobless claims filed last week. That was less than expected. Um, It was at least we've seen in about four weeks. Continuing claims, those that are continuing to get paid out on jobless claims, that number a little bit elevated. But retail sales is the big miss that we should talk about. Negative 0.8% on the month. That was worse than expected. I mean, the economists were looking for a decline of 0.3%. Some other important numbers here. So X gas, excuse me, X autos. And we knew autos were going to be weak because this number is not inflation adjusted either. That number was still negative 0.6. And then the most important one here is the control group. That feeds directly into GDP on the spending side, dropping negative 0.4% from the month. It was expected to be higher. Now, there, is, there are a few caveats here on this retail sales number. It's a noisy number. If you read all the economist reactions right now, weather plays a role. Holiday spending hangover plays a role in, in January. And you saw the weather effect because one of the hardest hit areas in this report were the materials, building materials, down 4.1%. We know that's weather sensitive when it comes to, to building. So, Yes, it will. It will reduce spending and GDP, David. But it. But I don't think it's a something to really worry about in terms of oh, the consumer's collapsing because there are some interesting January factors and that are usually unusual. We need to see more evidence. Okay. So what's our next big data point coming up as we continue to try to ascertain when and if there's going to be a rate cut at some point? Let's call it before the first half of this year goes by. Next week is going to be a big one because we get the PCE, which is the Fed's preferred gauge. And there's been this narrative after CPI this week, which was hotter than expected, that PCE will, and it has looked better, it's been a point better, doesn't have the owner's equivalent rent in there. And so that's going to be a key metric next week. Look, we still have more data today. I mean, minor data, but, and we have Fed speak. We have Waller speaking about the U.S. dollar later, which I think is going to be interesting. But there will be, there's a higher bar now for CPI. Carl, you mentioned that some of the trading notes are saying, okay, look, they're they're teeing off the Fed comments. A lot of the Fed comments post-CPI and Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, have been, don't make too much of one one data point. Here's, Here's what Secretary Yellen said about it. 
I think it is a tremendous mistake to focus on minor fluctuations in um, and to fail to see the, the lo longer term and bigger trend. And the trend here is that inflation is moving decisively down. So she dismissed it. We've heard other commentary. Barr was the latest yesterday, the Fed governor who gets a vote at every meeting, that he expects it to be noisy coming down to 2%. So they're not really surprised. They're playing it down. But I do think that Carl, the market has this nagging feeling that especially the super core inflation number coming in at, you know, 0.7 percent, which was a big upside surprise, that, that now the market's going to need to see more proof that the Fed is really winning the battle against inflation, no matter what the Fed members and the Treasury secretary says, just to feel a little more comfortable that we're moving into rate cuts. Yeah. I mean, Goolsby did say yesterday, no need to wait for two uh, to start cutting. Big piece in the FT today, questioning whether or not uh, economic resilience in the U.S. is as strong as we think. CapEx plans are coming down. Uh, full Full-time employment is coming down. Uh, there's uh, wage growth is decelerating from Atlanta Fed. Excess savings is drawing down. A lot of disinflationary signals from Airbnb this week and McDonald's and Pepsi and Kraft Heinz and Taylor Morrison. So we'll see if this uh, micro data does catch up uh, to the macro. Disinflation has been the theme of earnings season. And, and that's why it's, it's an interesting week that we got that hotter CPI report, because a lot of companies are talking about lower input prices and lower lower pricing power. We, we talked to Kraft Heinz yesterday about it. Pepsi, they're talking about normalized pricing environment. Meantime, let's turn to the tech sector, the other interesting part of this market. NASDAQ 100 futures point to another higher open, off to a pretty strong start this year behind names like NVIDIA and Meta. Got a new note out of HSBC breaking down the broader tech rally, saying, quote, should we prepare for a tech bubble a la 2000? We do not think so. We see few parallels to the late 1990s tech craze. We see opportunities for the rally to broaden as the Fed pivots and economic data stay strong. That hasn't stopped, David, people from overlaying NVIDIA to Cisco back then, a uh, lot of analogs, although I think it was Elaine Garzarelli of all people over the weekend saying the difference in this bull market is that it's, it's resting on the most profitable companies in the history of the country. And that is a big difference. Uh, of course, we went through the, uh, the dot-com boom uh, and can well recall so many of the companies that absolutely had no, uh, no business plan, frankly, or at least no way to get to actually free cash flow. Uh, positive. That is a very different scenario, as you point out right now, because we are talking about the biggest companies, the most profitable companies, and as I point out all the time, numbers that are simply almost hard to imagine in terms of the size of them. NVIDIA being amongst them yesterday, its market cap having passed that of Alphabet. Now, Alphabet has had a bit more of a challenging time of late, and as we know, NVIDIA shares have been nothing but straight up for the last couple of months, uh, and there you can see it right now. Third most valuable, of course, Apple or Microsoft and Apple uh, still ahead of it and a good ways to go. It would have to almost double from here if it's going to actually reach, not quite, but almost reach uh, where uh, the levels that they are with Microsoft still above $3 trillion. You mentioned Cisco, though, and I do, we can all uh, perhaps remember, well, most of us, Sarah, Sarah was a child, but when it was <laughs> a $540 billion or so market value uh, back at towards the 2000 range, of course, because it did, to your point, Carl, provide the guts of the internet revolution, so to speak. It was the arms provide, it was sort of the picks and shovels is, 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 a, is a better analogy, in the same way that NVIDIA now is by far the, uh, the provider of, uh, of the high-end chips that are needed to power 
um, all of the generative AI or most of the generative AI compute that is going on right now. So Cisco numbers, though, and we've talked about it, not that great. Revenue's obviously down. The stock is going to be down as well, given guidance was also not particularly strong. Yeah, uh, cutting some jobs, about 5%. That's going to be a little over 4,000 employees. And, of course, Chuck Robbins uh, with Jim last night talking about where some of the weakness is coming from. We saw more caution with our customers this quarter than we saw in the prior quarter, which led to our, our teams actually expressing more caution in their forecast. Therefore, we have more caution in our guidance. He did talk about uh, longer lead time, Sarah, uh, mm -hmm. more scrutiny of customer deals, weakness in telco and, uh, and service providers. And then on the plus side, they talked about cutting costs in the form of job cuts and, and AI and using the AI, their networking equipment for NVIDIA. He talked with Jim about the, about the relationship that they have, how Jensen, he was careful to say, Jensen, Jensen called me and asked me um, to use the networking equipment there. They say they have a line of sight for about a billion dollars worth of AI networking projects and fiscal year 25, and that it's been deployed in three of the four hyperscaler networks. So something maybe to hang your hat on, although clearly shares are down on that. Yeah, and that's, that's an instructive chart. I mean, every so often there are, there are unique moves in particular industries and stocks that give an investor an opportunity to profit enormously, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be sustained or repeated. Mm. And you can see, I mean, it's never come anywhere near that that market value. On the chart, it may almost look like it's kind of back towards it. It's, it's nowhere near that uh, in terms of market value. It's less than half what it was at those incredible highs during that run-up in 97, 98, 99 that we talk about so often. But again, Carl, to that point, is this really representative to a certain extent, this current period, in terms of what we've seen in the accretion of market value to that period? It's hard to say. It doesn't feel nearly as uh, bubblicious, so to speak, and multiples are not nearly as high does appear AI mentions, if you follow Torsten's yes, lock, has yes. started to come down on some of these conference calls. I don't know how instructive that is, or in fact, how, you know, you can really draw any real comparison, uh, any real lesson from it. But interesting, nonetheless, to note that, uh, that we had uh, an enormous mention in conference calls a couple of a couple of quarters ago uh, of AI. In many ways, many companies simply sort of making it clear to their investor base, hey, we get it, we get it. But you also don't know how much of it was a response to questions about AI, and perhaps those have calmed down as we now look towards really the commercialization of the actual technology and its, its use in the enterprise. It's interesting because Goldman has a, I wouldn't say competing chart, but a Why different not, chart. Right? The proportion of S&P firms mentioning AI is at an all-time high. In, in fourth quarter, 36%. So it depends on how you slice it. I think it all has to do with the market's mood, right? We And the media's mood also. We were all talking about AI a few quarters. Remember how many mentions there were of Ozempic on the on the food and on, the, on, on healthcare earnings a few quarters ago? That's come down. It's come down, know? although we continue to ask about it because it's still relevant in the same way that generative AI, even if it's not going to be mentioned quite as For often, sure, but it's there still was going to be a driving force. Last year in that quarter where everyone had to talk oh, yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. No, where the companies that you particularly follow yeah. closely were, I mean, hit medical with, devices too. Yep, now it's Taylor devices. Swift, as I've been saying. That's, you know, like a big theme on the. Does she get mentioned a lot in conference calls? <laughs> she gets mentioned on conference calls more than, more than one would think. Um, remember I highlighted? You did yesterday. The... Yes, I can even go back a day. My memory's that good. <laughs> there you go. Good for you. You know, on the Cisco job cuts theme, just another example of another company in technology cutting a percentage of its workforce. And, I mean, there are no shortage of announcements. Twitch, Citigroup, BlackRock, UPS, DocuSign, Charles Schwab, PayPal, eBay, Snap. I mean, these are all companies that have had announcements. And 
what's interesting is that the layoffs are showing up everywhere except for in the jobless claims number. They really have not made it into that, that weekly number. Which, why not? Which we continue to see move lower. So why is that? There, because there's still strong demand out there for labor. Um, even though companies are refocusing and prioritizing around themes like generative AI or preserving profitability at a time of weakened top-line growth, there's clearly still demand in the real economy for, for workers, and there's not a lot of evidence of mass layoffs. So these people are finding jobs, clearly. I mean, at some point, we do expect it to show up in the data. The Challenger report, which people look at as a private sector read, has shown higher layoffs, and for the first time last month, mentioned AI as a reason for companies getting more productive. So we expect to see it. It's, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's kind of confounding. Yeah. But clearly, people are finding jobs. That's true, although the hiring rate the percentage of total employment that's showing up in new jobs, that has slowed, right? It's, yeah, uh, and you uh, expect that. Yeah. You know, you expect that to come down a little bit, but overall, the picture of the economy, look, we got UK and Japan both technically in recession yeah. overnight. Surprising on Japan in particular. It was surprising. We've been talking about its economic resurgence so often lately. But guess what? The Nikkei went up because now the Bank of Japan doesn't have to be tighter. And Europe's flat, and the U.S. grew more than 3% annualized last quarter. So we're still on top. As Sarah said, not quite done with data for uh, the morning. We'll get industrial production after a short break. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here with another tranche of breaking news, industrial production capacity utilization. January numbers for production, we're expecting up two-tenths. The actual number is down one-tenth of a percent. A revision in the rearview mirror, also weaker from up one-tenth to unchanged. Down one-tenth of a percent is the lightest month-over-month change. Going back to, wow, down one-tenth, we're going to have to go back ways, uh, to the end of last year. Now, here's an interesting number. Capacity utilization, January, expecting the number 78.8, 78.5, which is the weakest level in almost two and a half years. You have to go back to September of 2021. Here's the issue. Last month was honored as the worst since two and a half since 21, but they upgraded it, which makes this month the definitive weak month. Utilization levels continue to be on the low side. And something fascinating, the Nikkei, the Japanese stock market today, closed at 38,157. If you go back to 1989-1990, uh, that is when the peak. So right now we're at the highest level since January of 1990, but it was 
December of 1989, where we made their all-time high. We're only about 750 points below that. Pay attention there. And Squawk on the Street will return after a short break. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. Take a look at that. Natural gas prices continue to drop. That's the lowest level we've seen in more than three years. Pippa Stevens is tracking it and perhaps can explain to us what exactly is going on here. Pippa. Hey, David. Well, bouncing back a little bit, but Nat Gas is still down 50% in a month, sinking to the lowest level since June 2020 as four key headwinds weigh on prices. The first and most important is the mild winter temperatures that we've seen in the U.S. December was the warmest on record, and apart from a few brief cold snaps, this winter has been moderate, which cuts heating demand and therefore Nat Gas demand. EBW Analytics Eli Rubin told me weather-driven demand has been, quote, off the charts bearish. Less demand means more gas in storage, with inventory roughly 11 percent above the five-year average. Production also remains around record levels. And finally, one of Freeport's three LNG trains is currently undergoing repairs, which reduces export demand. Now, in terms of how low can we go, OTC Global Holdings Campbell Faulkner telling me sub-150 is where things really start to hurt. Now, EQT, which is the largest U.S. producer, held its earnings conference call yesterday, where executives said that while they believe future prices will be higher, the next six to nine months might be a little bumpy. Guys, back to you. Yeah, uh, Pippa, you mentioned exports and Freeport, which, I mean, it's a long time ago that it had that that big accident, um, which I guess it's still sort of recovering from. So this is thanks to an outage after the winter weather in January affected one of their motor trains. And so they said that it'll be offline for about a month. But at a time when the market is already very oversupplied, any change in the demand picture and any, uh, you know, reduction in terms of our export export capacity is going to hit prices. Pippa, pretty stunning. Um, uh, These multi-decade lows, we'll uh, keep track of it with your help. That's our Pippa Stevens today. Opening bell coming up in about seven minutes. Don't forget, you can catch us anytime, anywhere. Just listen to and follow the Squawk on the Street opening bell podcast. We mentioned the reduction of guidance out of Cisco today. Got similar stories out of Wendy's and also Deer today is going to open down about 4% as they guide, they take out the top uh, of the range in terms of full year guidance on that income. It's the cash flow, Sarah, that gets a bigger haircut for the full year uh, by about a billion dollars. Pretty interesting. Also, the story has been lower volumes, and, and we saw that in the quarter. They're, they're trying to offset it with higher prices, but not enough. So they saw lower shipment by, uh, volumes in all three of their units, production and precision equipment, small agriculture and turf business. Um, the forestry and construction business, where they're all seeing higher prices. But the bottom line is crop prices have come down, and this is a stock and a business that largely reflects and follows that. So it's a sign that, you know, on on the plus side, inflation is coming down, uh, but also raises question about demand, right? Because deer is always kind of an economic bellwether. Although we we take pains every time they reduce guidance, David, to say that deer guides conservatively and has for decades. 
been pretty conservative. You covered guys. this company once. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, always. What was the day, Carl? <laughs> Would have been mid early 90s, yeah. Okay. Early yeah. mid 90s. All right. But, you know. I good. can remember that time. Well, that's why I defer to Carl, right. even, you know, maybe 30 years ago, long, but I still defer ago. to Carl on deer. Um, and comparing it to cat is or is not necessarily an I mean, It's just that deer's ag exposure is so much broader uh, than cat, which is mostly in, in construction. But, you know, given that they do have some construction and forestry exposure, and we're in an area where there's a lot of federal money pouring into especially manufacturing construction, it is a little surprising. Um, the other name that I'm uh, keeping on, an eye on this morning is Stellantis, which we don't talk about that often, of course, but owner of Chrysler and any number of other brands. It's the return of, uh, of, uh, of cash to a certain extent. They increased their uh, dividend, uh, 16%, but more importantly, perhaps, in being embraced by shareholders, as you can see, the stock is going to be up over 4%. 3 billion euro open market share buyback program uh, announced. Uh, revenues were up 6% compared to a year ago. Uh, and net profit up 11% uh, as well. Um, and significant free cash flow of 12.9 billion euros, that was up 19%. So um, at least we'll talk more about autos, I think, in a bit, but being embraced by shareholders this morning. A lot of buybacks lately. A lot of buyback announcements, right? It feels like that's elevated. I know we have to wait till Dave Costin comes on from Goldman Yeah, to find out to whether, find in out fact, it is how elevated. Much, how much it's potentially lifting the market, but mm -hmm. it, it does feel like it's very in vogue right now to announce at least dividends and that, buybacks. That 1%, isn't there a 1% tax on buybacks? Yeah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That hasn't stopped hasn't. any of these companies, right? From And Goldman's done a nice job of charting sort of the trajectory of CapEx budgets falling while buyback budgets are rising. Is that a signal that companies are just too cautious to invest in growth right now? Is that a is it a possibility that that's going to turn and once they feel more confident about the economy? Or that, yeah, or that they're signaling to investors that they feel confident in their cash positions and in their, in their, in their ability to generate profit, in a, in an, again, in an environment where top line has come down a little. Meta, I think, is a classic example, right, of the year of efficiency. They did it. The market rewarded it. And then they announced a cash return for the first time in the history. And I think others are following that. Yeah, Uber's a similar story, right, with the capital returns there. A lot of positive notes last night about Uber's buyback. Journal had a good piece yes. about Uber and Lyft finally getting to sustainable going to you know, potentially generate $9 billion in free cash flow by 2026, according to what the company says. Lyft is just, just turning it around. Maybe. Let's get the opening bell here and the CNBC World Time Exchange at the big board. Palmer Square Capital at BDC celebrating a recent IPO at the NASDAQ. Immunotherapy Biotech Tevagen Bio celebrating a recent listing via SPAC. As we're back to 5K on the S&P. Uh, Dow with some milder gains, up about six. Interesting story regarding a Dow component, and that's Boeing, through the lens of Airbus today, with a pretty decent results for the year, some cautious delivery guidance. But guys, I was looking at a five-year of Airbus versus Boeing, and it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Boeing, basically half the price it was five years ago, and Airbus with quite a bit of appreciation. Uh, big piece today about Airbus extending their lead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, that was reflected in the results. I'm just looking at the week-to-date chart on the S&P. We're still down for the week after that huge sell-off that we saw on Tuesday, by the way, from the, from the CPI report. We've clawed a lot of it back. 
But I think Matt Maley of Miller Tabak, the technical analyst, made the point that the strength that we saw yesterday in the comeback was not as not as broad as the weakness that we saw on Tuesday. So it does still lead some questions, I think, and concerns about rising bond yields, sticky inflation, and whether the Fed is going to be able to cut rates sooner rather than later. Yes, it's it's a loud time. (laughs) Um, Guys, uh, Wendy's is interesting. We mentioned that third uh, bit of lowered guidance today. 21 cents is a miss. Comps miss. In fact, if you look at the comps at Wendy's, less than 1% versus four at McDonald's and six plus at Burger King. Has a lot of people wondering what's happening to uh, at least the core business at Wendy's. They're going to make some investments in uh, digital uh, order boards and perhaps some AI and some suggestive selling. But this is a bit of a turnaround story. Stocks down about four percent. Yeah, Baconator not not so hot, I guess, in this environment. Although they did say that they're going to continue to invest in in breakfast. And in the press release, they say they significantly accelerated their digital sales. They're opening new restaurants, more than 200 new restaurants, expanded the U.S. operated restaurant margin to pre-COVID levels despite the inflationary headwinds. But stock's down. Obviously, it's down 16% over the last 12 months. It has yeah, underperformed. Although uh, Shake Shack's a very different story if we're going to stay in this uh, in this uh, area. That stock is up as much as almost 20%. You can see it right there after reports uh, revenues uh, that were up 20%. Um, and uh, same Shack sales, as they'd like to say, were up 2.8%. Uh, it's that same store sales, essentially, system-wide as well, up 21.4% versus 2022. Uh, so uh, generally a, a positive report from Shake Shack being responded to, as you can see, quite positively as well. Adjusted EBITDA, I always like to look what the adjustments are, but uh, adjusted EBITDA, uh, 138, 131.8 million. You can see Shack shares recovering uh, over the last, let's call it, since last year or so. Um, again, we're talking about a roughly $4 billion market value at this point. A bit different than Apple which has a $2.8 trillion market value. We haven't really gotten to Buffett's moves uh, this morning. They trimmed, that is, Berkshire Hathaway. We got the 13F yesterday, at least most of the the positions there. Occasionally, there's things that are omitted by Buffett. He's allowed to do that because he's either building a position in something or or, uh, any number of other reasons. But they did trim it. I mean, it was a 1% trim, as you might expect, given the enormity of the position itself. What, 167? Yeah, 167 yeah. billion dollar position. Obviously, percentage-wise of Apple's market cap, it is quite small, but it is still enormous. And you might anticipate a bit of a trim there. Uh, but it's been a great performer since they took the position. Perhaps not quite as strong as some of the other names that might have been available, but nonetheless, far outpacing the S&P's performance during that time period they've owned it. He also lightened up on Paramount, which is, that stock is under pressure a little bit today, right? You yeah, that? I mean, that's always been a curious position, the, the Paramount position. There were those who pointed to Buffett's and or Berkshire's ownership of Paramount as a positive when they talk about the possibility of uh, it being sold, wondering... Is there something he knew? They still, I think it was about a third of the shares um, that they sold, 30 million shares. Again, a rounding error, truly a rounding error for Berkshire in terms of the actual dollar amount. But it does go to this, you know, we've talked about it, this continued uh, talk of consolidation around Paramount specifically. 
you know, at this point, I mean, I'll give you updates as we go along if I have anything uh, significant to report. I, I, I can tell you right now that the name that continues to come to the fore is Redbird in partnership with David Ellison, who owns Skydance, uh, as a possibility there of buying the control position, namely controlled at National Amusements. So basically paying a premium or buying National Amusements, but not the common shares of Paramount itself. Those talks continue. Uh, to merge Skydance into the studio, the Paramount studio, you would need a special committee, and that would be part of any deal that they would undertake. And so it does become somewhat problematic. Can you get a special committee vote from the board of directors if you're not actually offering anything for the common shareholders who they represent? Um, otherwise, you know, our parent company's not doing it. As I said previously, I don't believe Warner Brothers Discoveries, even though they may have engaged, is really interested in doing it. We may hear something, uh, at least, from, uh, from Warner Brothers Discovery when reports earnings next, late next week on that topic. So we'll see. You know, bankers out there trying desperately to find another buyer for the whole company, but hard to say. Our parent company's down in part because of a downgrade today. Uh, you can see that. Um, and talking to Paramount gets me to Disney, gets me to Tryon. Your interview yesterday, Sarah, with Nelson Peltz. Mm. What did you think of that? Uh, I mean, he was saying many of the same things he has. I thought it was interesting when he just completely dismissed your possibility of him losing the proxy fight. Right. It's like, he what? Live. Lose? <clears throat> Not a chance. That said, I did notice, again, these 13Fs, they sold stock from the third quarter to the fourth quarter. Not a lot. Mm -hmm. But remember, this is that unusual position that Tryon holds where really uh, 25.5 million of the position is uh, Ike Perlmutter stock. Um, they're obviously voting it. They're controlling it. But that was sort of contributed into the so-called uh, SPV. And they went from 7.3 million shares to 6.7 million shares. It's odd to see uh, a company and or uh, an investment manager sell stock during a proxy fight, even if it's only 700,000 shares. Um, it's still odd. That's 700,000 votes. I don't think it means that he's backing off. Clearly, that was not the message no. that we got from him. They were not great sales either, though. Uh, because the stock obviously is up nicely this year, and this took place in the fourth quarter of last year, where it was nowhere near. It's you know, it was in the 90s at, yeah, at its highest. Which is highest. part of his case, of um, course. Yeah, but he sold yeah. 700,000 shares. Like why? Why would you do that if you're in a proxy fight? I don't know. 13F is a little stale too, so I wonder. No, it's, we'll I'm, find out. Like we'll it's stale, but it's not. It's telling us he sold stock. Right. He was in the proxy fight. He sold stock. Right. But the question of what does it mean for the proxy fight? That's still on. It's April third, right? They're still yeah, fighting no, it I, pretty bitterly. Absolutely. I, think. I just again, mm -hmm. it's it is rare following these things to see that unless they had redemptions that they had to sell some stock for to make. Could be. Um, unclear. But uh, obviously, he made his case with you yesterday. Well, and I think the takeaway was that, you know, the market really embraced and was enthusiastic about the earnings report from Disney last week, the the targets that they set out, the moves that they made, the one and a half billion in Epic Gaming, the Taylor Swift eras. And and here's Nelson Peltz of Tryon's reaction to everything that was announced. It's not that I'm not satisfied. You know, this company sells at a multiple of their pronouncements, you know, a very high multiple. They made these announcements like this management team just came into office about a week and a half ago. They have been here for 20 years. All of a sudden, they've awakened and they want to start making all these announcements. 
he had a cartoon that was that was good in the in the latest fight letter about with yeah, the board table and the spaghetti at the, the spaghetti wall. Spaghetti up against the wall. But yeah. but the, he he raises this issue that they were election announcements and not State of the Union announcements when it comes to strategic vision of Disney and how they're going they're going to think about existential ideas like the world of streaming. Um, he looks at them as a lot I'm of. Still like, waiting for him to put out a significant white paper the he way Tryon has weeks. so often in the past mm-hmm. when they've really dug deep on these things. I mean, there's been nothing. He, it's I, just well, been, I asked him about it. He said it's coming in a few weeks, so I think they probably want to keep them on their toes. They have there's an ISS a few weeks. decision. And this thing's right? this thing's close. I mean, they're meeting with ISS. That's all happening. By the way, you know we talk about this a lot. It does take an awful lot of time. I mean, Bob Iger's been spending a lot of time with shareholders and ISS. It, it is a, a distraction to say the least, uh, for, for CEOs and management teams when you have an activist like this and a proxy fight coming up, again, as you say, about a month and a half. Which way is it going to go? Do you have a sense? I mean, it's a big retail component. I mean, component it's hard to say right now, big retail component. It's not clear to me that he's getting traction. Obviously, Nelson says otherwise. We'll see. Yeah, between, between the pandemic, between the phenomenon that was Netflix with a 10-year head start, and then the strike, <laughs> you're dealing with cha- operational challenges that... I don't know, industry-wide might, might be unprecedented. Uh, guys, keep an eye on Ford today. Interesting comments uh, from the CEO about EVs. Big piece on the tape about Chinese demand and the COO of Ford's EV unit basically saying these guys have a huge uh, competitive advantage and we've got to get a religion on cost if we're going to survive uh, as, a, uh, as, a, cause as a competitive threat in the EV business. They do, though, say, David, uh, leaving open the, uh, the possibility of working with another EV maker. Which is interesting. That is yeah. interesting. I thought it was overall some of the, uh, again, some of the quotes that you've highlighted on on uh, on X as well, Carl, were interesting. Um, you know, we've talked about the ascendance of BYD, the Chinese, the largest maker of EVs now in the world. Obviously, not selling in our market, but <coughs> selling significantly uh, in other parts of the world, not just domestically in China, but in Europe uh, as well. Also, an interesting piece from Jonas, Carl, as well. I'm sure you saw it. I know you read him. Uh, of talking about the how intertwined the supply chains are when it comes to EV here in the U.S. And without China, you really are nowhere, certainly when it comes to batteries, for example. Um, you can't have Western EVs without China, says uh, Adam Jonas, the analyst at Morgan Stanley. Um, Western car companies have come to realize that mass EV adoption in China are inextricably linked. And, you know, we... We do have a presidential election coming up not that far from now, and I am starting to hear questions from some of the asset allocators I speak to about, well, what is it, how do we think about it if Donald Trump were to return to the White House? And certainly this is one key area, given he's talked about, what, 60% tariffs immediately. That would probably collapse all supply chains and would have a significant impact on EVs. As well. Yeah, interesting. Isn't, I, I read the other day, Sarah, that AMLO may be the first Mexico president to, to leave with the peso higher than when he got there? Oh, the I don't know, yeah. but that's a good, that's a good yeah. statistic. Look, money's been pouring in to Mexico. We've, we've talked about it, as it has in India and other places. The, the, chi- the, the China, tra- anywhere but China trade, certainly benefiting in, from a nearshoring and a friendshoring perspective. Also, they get benefits under the, the trade agreement that we have with Mexico and Canada. I just wanted to hit technology. We can't go through this without hitting NVIDIA, right, which is a little bit lower today. But TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor, hit an all-time high overnight because, remember, it had been closed for the, for the holiday over there. And, and this, the analyst notes continue to pour in around NVIDIA, the latest... Um, of course, D.A. Davidson. 
the, they, they say that they analyze, the newness here was that they analyze comments from Google and Amazon, the biggest customers of NVIDIA, uh, Microsoft as well, and all of them communicated plans to significantly increase their investment in AI infrastructure this year which obviously bodes well. This, this is a company, NVIDIA, that reports next Wednesday. Some people think it's going to be more important for the market than the CPI report. Hard to believe that, but it's clearly um, something we're all watching now. And there's TSMC, which gets benefit of it as well, and it had a big move overnight. We haven't mentioned Supermicro, which is technically a Russell name, although it's creeping up on almost 2% of the Russell. This is a stock that's gone from 300 to 900 in a month. Uh, and today, David, this initiation out of B of A with a buy, 1040. Uh, but SMCI gets a ton of chatter right now, given the backdrop that NVIDIA provides. Wow. I wasn't informed. Yeah, uh, yeah 52, almost $53 billion market value, you can see, up uh, almost 1,000% uh, in one year. Uh, speaking of tech guys, uh, and big tech in particular, MetaShares are really the only well, of the sort of the big five uh, that I keep an eye on, Apple, Meta, Alphabet, Amazon, and Microsoft, Meta's the only one up. Would note Hoktan joining the board of Meta. Mm. Uh, Hoktan, of course, um, well-known uh, as Broadcom's president and CEO um, and a member of that company's board of directors as well for a long time, as you might imagine. He joins, along with John Arnold, kind of that name from the past. Remember the old, uh, the huge trader? Uh, is what I remember him as, of course, Centaurus Energy uh, Commodity Hedge Fund. He founded after being at Enron for many years. But uh, the two of them joining that board to sort of round things out there. But Hoktan in particular, interesting addition. Well, considering the focus on AI, right? right. Uh, semiconductors. Um, uh, just another bullish statement, I would say, by Meta in terms of pivoting toward AI and something he's talked about on the call, but yeah. adding more proof here. We showed the Zuckerberg review of the Vision Pro, was it yesterday? <laughs> yes. David. yes. Uh, Verge had a piece out in the afternoon about people returning their Vision Pros. You, st you get two weeks uh, because of eye strain, motion sickness, including their own one of their own product managers who complained uh, that uh, just eye burn, redness. He's like, I'm a, I'm a fan, it's a magical experience, but I'm gonna wait for the next generation too painful to wear. You wear it, Very, right? All Does based on happen? anecdotal rep yeah. reporting. No, I, I remember when we talked to Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal with her review, she wore it for 24 hours straight, so she was feeling yeah, some she of got, those things. She That's got probably it. not how you're supposed to yeah. use it, though. What, what I hear from everyone is planes. It's, it's a game changer on planes. If you can have good Wi-Fi and a good battery charge, then you can do your work privately and watch those movie theater movies. I don't know. I continue. It's interesting to see the analysts sort of change their tune around this and whether it gets factored in materially to Apple earnings. Tony Saganagi told us he didn't think it, originally he didn't think it was going to be material. Dan Ives thinks it's a huge boom. He's at 600,000 shipments. Yeah. That's his forecast for the year. Yeah. I did note we had Dan Niles on yesterday during our, our, our 10 o'clock. Short Apple. Short Apple and Alphabet. Shares of Alphabet, by the way, are getting beat up a little bit this morning, down 3.4%. Guys, I don't know of any particular... Is it, is it about this open AI well, report? Well, there was an information Maybe. report. On yeah. The, the that, open AI was going head on against Google. Do a search, a web search product powered by Bing and take one more notch out of Google's search dominance, right? That's the, that's the thought. That, and that has been, listen, we've been talking about that as a possibility now for quite some time in terms of what has been the lock that Alphabet has on search uh, and whether that would start to loosen as a result of the new offerings that will be available over time in a different way, perhaps, that will take you in a more, you know, 
for search as well, but do it in a very different way as a result of generative AI. It's got to be a risk. It is one that obviously is being calculated by shareholders, and it's one reason why Alphabet shares are flat, more or less for the year, up some 0.8%. Uh, as opposed to the likes of NVIDIA, of course, up 47%. Before we go to break, uh, let's watch bonds as well as we're hanging on to 50.11 S&P. Uh, yields mostly lower. Maybe the event of the day is going to be Waller, 115, who was considered by many to have set the tone on a potential rate cut path. We'll see what he says. And then Bostick later tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Back in a minute. Watch Oxy today. Uh, up in, up in the early trade, uh, with the beat, uh, production beat, little div hike, ga a CapEx guide was slightly below expectations. Uh, also, you got the backdrop of this EIA data suggesting that we could well end up with a crude oil surplus as they keep their uh, demand forecast present, but they raise their non-OPEX supply forecast. Meantime, S&P 50-12. We're back in a minute. An advocacy group representing McDonald's franchisees is speaking out on pricing and cost-cutting challenges in the year ahead. Our Kate Rogers here with the details. Morning, Kate. Hey, good morning, Sarah. McDonald's franchisee advocates, as you said, speaking out on plans to continue to make McDonald's a destination for discounts. They agree with the goal, but are worried somewhat the company's actions could hit their bottom line. So CNBC obtained a copy of a letter from the National Owners Association. This is an independent advocacy group of McDonald's franchisees. It cheers the success that the company had in 2023, but warns that momentum could be challenging this year, writing, quote, since 2020, although sales and cash flow have continued to build, 2023 year-end cash flow trailed the CPI by approximately $24,000 per restaurant. In addition, it suggests what it sees as the solution to being a value destination for consumers. Responding to a discussion that played out on the company's earnings call uh, last week, a CEO, Chris Kamchinski, said that lower income consumers were pulling back somewhat. The NOA letter said, quote, this is not a new or unique message. Value has always been at our brand's core. Value, however, should not be discounting our core and iconic menu items. The group points to opportunities like bringing back snack wraps and testing out affordable beverages at the new McDonald's Cosmics location in Texas. Now, McDonald's said affordable options are core to its brand and that franchisees continue to create impressive returns with average cash flow up nearly 50 percent since 2018. And even when accounting for inflation, it says 2023 was one of the highest franchisee cash flow years in the history of McDonald's. So it seems the end goal, of course, is the same, but uh, the path to getting there is somewhat different on both ends, guys. Kate, who sets the price? for the restaurants? Yes, Sarah, great question here. So the company uses uh, third-party consultants that kind of talk with franchisees about pricing. It says franchisees wind up setting pricing at the local level. But of course, if it's coming from the top, that value needs to be a priority here. How that plays out, you know, remains to be seen. But once again, uh, they have consultants mm. work with franchisees and they're able to set those local prices. Got it. Remember, 95% operated mm -hmm. by franchisees, right? So this is right. a, a franchisee operation. Not a corporate kind of thing. Thank you, Kate Rogers. Thank you. Busy day for Ecodata. More coming up after this break. Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant 
its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.